Welcome to the podcast edition of Maximum Growth Live, the number one program for lawyers who want to grow their practices. Each week, our hosts, Seth Price and Jay Ruain, tackle the fundamental questions about how to grow the profit and profitability of your law firm. To watch the program live, submit your questions and hear the latest episode. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Facebook for our live show. Maximum Growth Live is a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of Maximum Growth Live. I'm your host, Jay Ruane. With me, as always, Seth Price over there. Seth, how are you doing this week? Doing well. Putting up the good fight. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, we're still at it. You know, we're six months into Max Growth Live now, which is amazing uh, to think about it. And uh, we are keeping at it, which is, I think, everyone in our audience is doing the exact same thing. Of course, if you want to hear any of our back episodes, you can do it on the Maximum Growth Live podcast or the Maximum Lawyer podcast available on all major podcasting platforms. So Seth, this week we have another phenomenal guest. We've really hit it out of the park uh, over the last couple of months in getting some guests, and we have someone with us uh, who's done it not once but twice. So tell us about our guest. Well, Sarah Kaki, one of my favorites, uh, based out of Atlanta, she is a force of nature. You know, she just had a third kid. She she has a, this awesome marriage with a husband who has his own entrepreneurial spirit. But she created a firm, saw issues in that space, pivoted, left that firm there, but started a second firm. It's just an incredible story. She herself, I see as an inspiration. The way she thinks about things, the way she evaluates culture and systems and all those things, they really, it, it, is, it is a sight to be seen and can't wait to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, we had a phenomenal show this past Tuesday uh, and, and, and this week I think is going to blow the Tuesday show out. So uh, why don't we do this? Why don't I take the cameras down? I'll bring back Sarah. We'll hear quickly from our sponsors. And then when we come back, we're going to have Sarah Kaki with us. Uh, and then we're going to take it away. And I'm sure she's got a lot to offer our audience. Sound good? Sounds great. Awesome. See you in a minute. You're listening to Maximum Growth Live from Maximum Lawyer Media. We'll be right back after this short break. Hey, it's Becca here. I'm sure you've heard Jim and Tyson mention the Guild on the Maximum Lawyer podcast, but you might still be wondering, what exactly is the Guild? It's this perfect mix of a community, group coaching, and a mastermind. Inside, you'll gain support, tap into a network of connections, and gain access to weekly events and trainings. In case you missed it, September is the last month to lock in at our lowest member price before the increase on October 1st. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the Guild page to join us. Do you want to get into social media marketing? Unsure of where to begin? The FirmFlex DIY plan was created for small firm and solo lawyers who want to start social media marketing for their firm but can't commit to the large budgets many agencies charge. In just five minutes a day, with the help of the FirmFlex coaches, you get daily ideas, weekly themes, hashtags, and stock images you can use to post on social media and market your firm. With a private and vibrant Facebook group you can always turn to, the FirmFlex DIY plan gives you the ultimate control over your marketing. By using the FirmFlex DIY program, as well as our weekly coaching and industry-leading hacks, you can set your social media up for success, all for around $3 a day. Try it today at GetFirmFlex.com DIY. 
In this world today, if you want to grow your business, you want to grow your firm, you want to take on more cases and make a bigger impact, you have to have a digital blueprint. Statistically, throughout the time that we've been working with Blue Shark Digital, our law firm, the Atlanta Divorce Law Group, grew over 1,400%. Seth and his team have years of experience in this area. Blue Shark is truly a part of the firm, so I don't consider Blue Shark any different than the employees in my office. I know I can trust their, their input and their advice because they truly care about the people that they work with and just want to see you succeed. Hi, everybody. Jay here back with Maximum Growth Live. So here's the situation. As we were in commercial, I started messing with some of my cameras. And while I did that, I actually dropped Sarah and Seth's feed off of my screen. I'm going to be able to get them back, but I didn't have enough time with coming out of the uh, sponsor messages to be able to figure it out. So I'm going to go ahead and do the introduction for Sarah. And then I'm going to figure out while I'm doing that which buttons I need to press to get them to come back up on screen. I'm sorry for it, but sometimes when you're doing a live show, you, you may push the wrong button. And this is a perfect example of me doing that. So I apologize. Seth, Sarah, I know you can hear me. You just can't see me. I'll be with you shortly. But we're going to talk about Sarah. Let's talk with Sarah Kaki today. And Sarah actually has two different law firms. She's got a social security uh, disability firm in the Kaki Law Firm, but she also has the Atlanta Divorce Law Group. And those are two... Uh, different practices and two totally different practice areas. And we thought it'd be interesting to talk to Sarah about that. So Sarah, I know you can hear me. My first question to you is going to be, why two different firms? I know you, you, know, you have uh, the ability to build a firm and I've thought about doing it myself. And the question is, do I build a whole nother firm or do I double down and focus on my core area of strength be me being, you know, a, a Ruane attorneys in Connecticut being a criminal defense firm. Do I focus all my attention on that until I've really maximized all the revenue out of that? Or do I set up a secondary firm like you've done? I'm sure you've got some insight as to why you did it your way. I'm curious about it. I know Seth with his firm has just added on practice areas. So we find it really interesting what you've done. And so that's my, going to be my first question for you. So if you could just give me a minute, I'm going to figure out how to bring you guys in. Uh, and uh, you can maybe answer that question for me as our first question. Thanks. Hold on one second. I just need to uh, hit a button here and I'll get you in. Um, so first of all, Jay, that's such a good question. I really appreciate having the uh, very honest and open forum to discuss that because I think people have made so many misconceptions about having two firms, why I have two firms. And I've seen a lot of other people try it when, in my humble opinion, it's not always a good idea. So I did have a social security disability firm first, a khaki law firm. And in 2016, social security in the summer of 2016 started freezing all attorney's fees. The political climate was very volatile with them freezing the budget, um, the, the and a national budget. And Social Security basically for three months stopped paying attorney's fees. A lot of smaller Social Security firms just went out of business. A lot of the big Social Security firms saw it as a huge opportunity because they had all this operating cash that they could float through the next few months with. And they were scooping up the small firms that couldn't handle it anymore, scooping up the clients because in Social Security, it's a three year lag time. Um, you guys may know from PI, you have a pipeline that you build up and then you hope that at some point within 12 months or nine months, it starts, you know, producing cash. Well, Social Security 
is is a very, very painful one in the fact that it's a three-year lag time. And if you want to get into it, it's fantastic because it has some great natural barriers to entry for your competitors, which is a three-year lag time. But you better go in with some operating cash in hand or some other source of revenue coming in. I went in taking a big loan from my father-in-law and my husband deciding that he was going to run the whole household while we were just going to go in for three years and build this thing up. And we had a three-year business plan. We had the cash flow forecast. We did all the things by the book the way you should, yet you're still dealing with only having one client who pays you, which is the U.S. government which is wonderful because they're going to pay you, you know, they're not going to go run away and, you know, to the Cayman islands, they're going to pay you at some point, but the, all, all the politics changes in president, all these things is going to impact your practice area. And, and if for me, it really was a matter Jay of, do I close down the business at that point or bring in the second source of revenue? It was an absolute necessity to stay alive, to bring in another source of revenue. Now, the great question is, well, why didn't you open up PI on the side? Why didn't you do something else on the side? And the, and the, really the honest answer is I went for something that I was passionate about and it was family law. I definitely could have opened up workers comp on the side. It was suggested to me. I could have opened up PI on the side. I actually tried opening up bankruptcy on the side. I even um, bought the domain Atlanta Bankruptcy Law Group. I started to turn some of our social security clients into bankruptcy clients by calling them because I was like, if we're in financial pain, I know my clients are in financial pain over this. Um, and it just did not gain momentum. And I think it's a very, very important lesson for us to learn as entrepreneurs because all three of us have a very strong entrepreneurial sense about us. And I think that in a lot of forums we're in as entrepreneurs, we're told that, you know, you can start a business in anything, right? It could be a hot dog stand, it could be a subway, or it could be a law firm, or it could be anything. What I learned in my personal experience, which is just my experience, is that if you don't care about the product, you are not going to do a good job with it. And that's why the bankruptcy firm never gained any momentum. The bankruptcy firm could have actually had much better synergy with the social security firm. They could have lived in the same space. They could have shared more of the same staff because of software that lends itself to social security, lends itself well to bankruptcy. The clientele could have shared the same lobby space and it wouldn't have been an awkward interaction. But in marketing, the marketing message, the marketing mission could have been the same. But there was one thing missing, which was my passion for bankruptcy, my me wanting to have an opinion about it. And I think that is such a key for, you know, staying in your own lane. That's why we tell people to stay in your own lane, because something about what the lane you're in called upon you and you called upon it and you're in it. And then getting shiny object syndrome with 50 other lanes because other people are succeeding in them can be a fatal mistake because you it may just not be what you're supposed to be doing. And I took a huge leap in going in after family law because I was passionate about it. But, you know, this is the Jane and Seth show. So I'm also going to give you the raw fact of the, the, the honest truth about it. If you are going to do something like this to survive, because my my decision was from a place of survival, you should, in my opinion, go after a revenue source that diversifies how the revenue is coming in. 
PI and workers comp to me was more contingency. I didn't want to add another contingency practice. Um, bankruptcy was more of chasing smaller margins. And that's already what social security was. I didn't want to do that. Family law, when I ran the math, I was like, not only is this something that I love and I'm passionate about, but you can make a much better margin per case cash up front to grease the wheels than the other practice areas. I don't have, you don't have to have a dollar in your pocket to start a divorce firm. Right. And, and, and then I think it was sort of, you know, it was genius on a lot of levels. I mean, the history is written by the victors, but I, what I appreciate first digital marketing wise to have that second brand name, as you know, having a name with the, what you do in it, huge advantage digitally. So uh, kudos to you if you probably didn't know that going in, but if regardless, it worked out really, really I didn't well. know that going in. <laughs> but it's a huge, huge advantage. Love the fact, I mean, look, for myself, one of the areas I've tried to move into more, but family law, great cash, great demand, very hard to manage people within that. Family lawyers are a special breed, and I feel like you're a special person that could help bring that together. But that is, you know, you're going to, you know, the money is there, how you get people to row in the same direction in that, I think is probably one of the hardest to do compared to other areas. Talk to me about your thoughts when the idea you started a second firm rather than you had the khaki firm, you could have just added another practice area. Talk to us about the decision to make it a separate entity. To me, that is to, uh, to go off of what you were saying about marketing and branding. Uh, I really thought it was important that the khaki law firm stays on its mission, which is guiding people who are no longer able to work through this technical process. And when I looked at my avatars and we really had built these avatars of what do our A clients look like to us, it was like, you know, Bob, the builder, um, he's, you know, he's a factory worker, has worked in a factory all year his life. He's 55 plus years old. Um, his education is high school education. And he's very prideful about his work history and has a great work ethic. He did not live in the same space in my lobby and how my lobby was going to look, just to give a small example of a lobby with, um, for instance, Claire Huxtable, who is the professional woman who's super educated, probably has a doctorate underneath her belt, is very particular, has to have all her A's, you know, I's dotted and T's crossed. I could not see them cross paths in our lobby. I could not see them if we were to have a happy hour for our clients that they would be mingling together. Um, I could not see our website speaking the same language to both of them. It would isolate one, draw in one. And I couldn't see most importantly, the people that I would recruit to come and work for us, being able to relate to both of them. If I'm recruiting for Atlanta Divorce Law Group, I'm looking for something completely different, for a completely different tone, different sense of confidence, different level of empathy than what I'm looking for when I hire somebody for the khaki law firm. No, it's, it's really fascinating because Jay and I talk about this in a future Tuesday show. We're going to actually have this as a discussion point about whether you use two websites to go after this or you take the authority because Kathy Law Firm had age on it, which is really important. It had authority. It had your brand and Google loves brand. So it's, it's not nothing to split in two, but it's worked really, really well for you. Some other piece of this, which, you know, look, I, the fact that I have to have, you know, intake 
the idea that you have separate intakes, separate accounting, separate all of those things, you lose a lot of economies of scale. Now, I get it's genius that you separated it because it's a different ethos. I see it. My intake is together, but the, the we have to have a separate person as primary on PI because the contingency cases need a very different ethos than the fee-for-service cases. But you've given up a lot of efficiencies running two separate shops. Can you talk a little bit about what you've learned through that process? Are there things back office that you do combine behind the scenes? Or is it really, you know, there's a there's a concrete wall between them? So initially, because we were so cash poor when we started it, we really started the divorce firm on the back of the social security firm. So I really went to my intake department at the social security firm. I went to my girl, Holly, who's still with me and said, hey, I will, um, I need your help, you know, and I went to all everybody in our social security firm and said, I need all of your help. We are, we need to find a way to bring another source of cash. And yes, my law firm administrator and my intake assistant, they jumped in. We were, we got a cell phone, um, just for the phone calls that were coming for the divorce the, firm. That phone we call it. Yeah. yeah, literally that was the, that was a divorce firm. We did not have a single employee that was fully dedicated to the divorce firm. We were working things of, of, of counsels, contract attorneys, and myself and our intake assistant, we were making phone calls from the cell phone to leads. And we were taking leads like at nighttime on the weekends, just trying to do anything to distinguish ourselves from the competition. Cause that's all we had was we just were going to give it, pour our time into it. Whereas the competition was probably established and comfortable with how they were managing their leads. And we were just going the extra mile every step of the way. And it got to the point where that became so much work that we didn't want the khaki law firm to suffer for it. So we brought in a second girl to do the lead with Holly. So now both of them were running the intake department for both firms. And my law firm administrator was running the policy, was building policies and procedures and systems, basically taking what we had for the khaki law firm and saying, what about this needs to be different for a social security firm? And that wasn't all that much extra work other than for us to just be mindful of, that this needs to be built for a so divorce firm, but a lot of that HR stuff, a lot of that infrastructure already there. We went to our vendors and said, hey, we've had a great relationship with you. We'd like to add another law firm on here, sort of like what we did with Blue Shark. And I think one of the biggest challenges is finding good vendors. That's one of been one of our that partner up with you. And once you find good ones that you feel like are a partner with you, um, the way we have with Blue Shark, that was kind of easy. I mean, it was great having that conversation with David and Seth and them kind of, you know, navigating that water with me and doing that with every vendor was incredibly helpful. But there definitely came a point where the economies of scale were no longer there. Um, we could not have clients coming into the khaki law firm with the logo, of the khaki law firm inside the lobby and outside the building. It says the khaki law firm. And then they're thinking they're coming to the Atlanta divorce law group. You know, once we started to get the traction, we had to move up, but we still were, you know, slow on spending because we had just gone through this horrifying freeze in attorney's fees. So what did I do? I took that lobby and one wall was the Atlanta Divorce Law Group logo. The other wall was the Khaki Law Firm logo. Um, we would switch things out as much as we could in the conference room. It, you just work with what you have. And we knew the vision was 
for them to be in separate buildings because the more I dived into the branding and the pain point of the client and the marketing and really getting like you you know Seth said the ethos and watching my staff I was like this isn't this isn't going to work for too long I just need to get it to a certain point financially and then we separated them out and they were for a long time up until literally a month ago sharing still the firm manager the law firm manager and but we did separate out the intake team very early on because it was very obvious that there's completely separate conversation you know you're talking to your veteran for the social security firm and you're cursing out the government with them you're getting mad at the government with them you're going there emotionally with them and then on the next call um, you have to sound very professional very pleasant and congratulate somebody on making this big decision to move on with their life and the divorce so we had to change that up. Um, but you know, one, one thing that I th- that made me think of this during the pandemic, now I have like eight different practice areas. They're under one firm and I try to market it both ways. So I try to be Sarah, but not as successful in that I do blend those ethos together, which is not good. It dilutes. But it's funny, during the pandemic, we've gone to team meetings on a weekly basis that were not always there. But I've also segmented them into different groups so that it might just be Virginia criminal. And that the idea is, as you do that, when you address your team, one of the the advantages, I think, is that everything you say is relevant to that group. Whereas when you do, if you had a two practice group and you're talking, it waters down the message because you can rah-rah from the top. But when it comes to pointed, you know, tactical things, half the people are tuned out when you talk about, you know, your your fee for service and half are sort of spot on. And so I find that that was, you know, it's a lot more work for you is what I've found, but that you're able to create two things that have solid foundations to grow in the future. Jay, you, you had some questions. I want to make sure you had time to ask. Yeah. No, so the, the thing that I really am concerned about, well, not concerned about is, is this the end, right? Or have now you've seen, okay, I've got SSDI. It continues to work. The family law really taking off. Or do you see yourself at the helm of seven different practices? Or would you say, okay, so now I've got the, the fee for service on the divorce side. I've got the contingency. Now, if, I, if I'm going to get out, I'm going to go do something outside of law. Uh, or maybe do some coaching myself. Where, where does this, does it end with just two? Or do you see yourself saying, hey, now that I've got the systems going in, and I'll follow up with another question after this. Um, but where do you see yourself going over the next decade? That's a great question. And, you know, my answer to that has varied throughout the years. I, I remember that when the Atlanta Divorce Law Group started hitting the seven-figure mark, I kind of got a little bit of that sense of like, I got this figured out. I got, you know, I got that little sense of like too cool for school that, you know, I got this now, what am I going to do next sort of feeling? I don't think I had gotten kicked hard enough yet with growing something beyond that. So we arranged for coronavirus to come in and and take care of that. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, so, I mean, I think I actually was really thinking like what's next for me sort of thought. And I, and I think we, to be very honest, you know, there's definitely points where you get that sense where you've arrived and then you get kicked so hard and you're like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm still in the playground. <laughs> and I, I, so I had a moment of that and I was thinking about workers' comp and I actually added workers' comp for a little bit to our social security firm. And 
I wasn't going to start a third firm. I was just going to add it to the khaki law firm as another skew, as another menu item. And very within, we started actually taking in cases. I actually got an attorney in there. But within three months, I could very quickly see that my eye was coming off the ball on the social security and it was coming off the ball on the divorce. And I realized like I haven't even like reached nearly the potential of either one of those firms. And I still have not. And I think at the end of the day, here's how I make that decision. I'm really not interested in starting a third firm and I'm not interested in adding any practice areas today. That's what I'll just say today. But, and the reason for that is, the social security firm made it made sense to start a divorce firm at that point because every dollar I put into the social security firm, it was going to take me three years to see five dollars out of that or you know two dollars out of that, whatever the margins may be. In the divorce firm, every dollar that I take out of the divorce firm and don't invest in it, invest somewhere else, that is literally next month that I, it could produce you know, a $20 for me. And that's why I, I always look at that. I'm like, where could that dollar, if I take that dollar out of investing in my current assets, am I going to get that same return somewhere else? And how much headache do I have to put into it? So it has to be something that's like a deep spiritual calling almost for me to go and say, I have to go and invest in this third business. I am very, very moved right now by how much more opportunity there is for us in both firms. I really would love to take Social Security to more of a national level. Um, I don't think that firm has even begun to reach, you know, taste its real potential. And same thing with the divorce firm. I think that we've done an amazing job branding happily ever after divorce. And we're not we're not even the biggest game in the Atlanta market. You know, there's still so many more ahead of us. And I think we should be right there at the top with how differently we do things and how different our philosophy is. So I'm very moved to do that. Um, I, I do, of course, I'm still an entrepreneur at heart. I do engage in other ventures, but they're more like a project here and there. My, my, my good friend, Nyle Haber and I, we did a, a branding workshop for a whole year where we had five different branding workshops for attorneys and other professionals on how to brand themselves and that sort of thing. And I love those projects, but I'm not about to take money out of either one of my assets and put them in somewhere else where I don't know what the return is when there's still so much more I can do with my margins and growth than the other two firms. I love that. So, you know, one of the things I, I've done a lot of things well in my law firm, one of the things I've done least well is what you seem to have done very well, which is somehow corralling family law lawyers to work together. Those of us that knew Lee Rosen, he had a, a pretty interesting model back in North Carolina for years. Um, you know, Jay and I both, uh, you know, bro broke into this with criminal where again, not, not easy, but there are a lot of people that just want to go to court and be left alone and not have the business component. I, so one of the areas that I'm looking to you as somebody who like, what, not what am I doing wrong, but like, talk to me about how the scaling of a family firm, where you need to be able to incentivize people to make them better off with you than being on their own and better off with you than being with the competition. Talk to me about some of the techniques you've used because getting to seven figures there is, is not nothing and that you have so many personalities. That's the thing about family law that crushes me is that not only are the family law lawyers special people, but they every day have to deal with opposing counsel, opposing yeah. counsel's clients, their own clients. It's really a very emotional practice area. What have you done to be successful in scaling that on an HR point of view? 
Yeah. And I think that that is probably been our biggest challenge as well. And I uh, quite frankly think we could grow a lot faster if I was willing to give up a little bit on what I'm specifically looking for when I'm hiring a little bit on culture, but I'm not willing to give up on culture and I'm not willing to give up on the personality I'm looking for. So there's been a lot of resumes that come my way that we're painfully looking for more attorneys right now. We've gone through um, three months that we haven't you know, found the right person. So I think that I don't know if I have the right answer because I think there's other guys out there that might be able to grow faster than me because they are hiring a lot faster, but I'm really slow to hire attorneys. And one of the, so what are we doing that we've kept our attorneys and, you know, kept them engaged in their superstars and not, they haven't gone out on their own. Well, I think that them feeling like we're on a mission has really helped because divorce for attorneys, they get burnt out really, really easily because of all the reasons you described. They are basically holding on so much baggage from so many different levels, right? They're holding on the baggage of the client, the opposing counsel, and there's just so much drama that they have to listen to. And we do a lot as far as constantly talking about the mission of happily ever after divorce to them. And what does it mean? Why is this different than just providing a divorce decree to the client and giving them forums to express that? So for instance, you look to your attorneys and see what are they good at? What do they enjoy to do outside of the actual delivering the, the legal services? Because these are the reasons I find that they're going to leave you for. Um, it's not always going to be money. For instance, our litigation manager loves public forums to speak at. So I find ways for her to give CLEs. We put money into promoting webinars for her. Um, she does an amazing job doing Facebook lives. And that gives her an outlet to express herself. And I don't do anything to hinder her from going and originating on her own. We actually give incentives for our attorneys to originate. You don't have to be a partner to originate. Um, any attorney of ours that originates, we give them 10% of whatever they collect or the firm collects, even if they don't work the case and somebody else in the firm works the case. We have another attorney that does a fantastic job in networking. Whatever networking group she wants to join, we pay for that. She goes out and networks. Now, I have a lot of colleagues of mine and other firms and other forums that tell me I'm crazy because you're basically not letting them be dependent upon you to go and work, you know, to learn how to bring in work. They're, you're teaching them how to rain make. And my philosophy is I'm not going to live in fear of that. I'm just not. Um, I'm going to do everything as much as I can to build a culture, to build a leadership that they feel that is so strong and so good that they think twice about leaving and that they enjoy being part of, you know, a superstar team. And within that team, they get to go and express themselves and find ways to make additional income so that, you know, they don't, it's not as appetizing to go out on your own and giving them support staff as the really strong support staff, I think also really, um, minimizes the risk of them leaving you because they really think to themselves, am I going to have somebody to take care of the intake for me like this? Am I going to have somebody to such an amazing paralegal on my own? If you just spoil them to death with those things. And I think they're going to think twice about going out on their own. That's funny. I have a thought, but Jay, what's what you got? Uh, you got a question? Yeah. So I have a question, you know, 
building a practice and, and building a secondary practice, you know, one of the things that we often talk about on this show and in other forums is the role of systems and how systems really do uh, take. And you alluded to it a little earlier when you talked about your firm manager sort of said, what systems are we using with the SSDI firm? What can we translate over uh, to make it work? Tell me about the role of systems in both your firms. As someone who has started multiple firms, how important is that to you? Where do you think you should have your focus early on in the process for building systems? Because I think that people need to hear that stuff. Yeah, systems are huge. Systems are very important, but I would never hinder growth because of systems. That's just one. And I would also say that culture is more important than systems because you could have the most amazing systems, but bad culture, the system's going to go to crap um, and nobody's going to work within that system. But I think some of the most important systems for me personally have been um, a marketing systems and client management systems. So what I mean by client management, well, in social security, it, it really is from A to Z for the, from the time you take the case all the way to the case comes to an end. And family law, it's a little bit more, you have to be create a lot more flexibility. Um, but for our social security firm, for instance, we've built systems within our software that triggers everything from, okay, the client, from the moment the client calls the office, the lead calls the office, there is a system for how it's handled, how the glide path happens, all the way to the end where we ask for that Google review. Whereas in the divorce firm, these are all compartmentalized because once things get to legal, we have really let it, eased up on the systems a little, a lot more because in the early days, we found that that was actually one way we were going to lose our legal staff because they felt that, hey, you got to let me think for myself. You got to let me run, you know, run my case the way I want to run my case. So my big thing on the systems is, I mean, I can, if there's a specific system you want me to speak about, I will, but I'm, I'm very careful about advocating systems too much for the guys that are right now in a growth mode, because what I find is that we, you should just go out and hustle and market if you want to build something up. Getting lost in the systems, it could really, you know, deprive you of where you should, what you should be doing right now. I, I could. That's so funny because I've Jay Jay's been advocating for systems for a long time, and I am clearly, I was on the wrong side of the curve. Like I've waited too long. We had manuals, but we didn't take it as seriously. But I, I think there's something there. I think it's worth a further discussion, maybe be even beyond the show, with the idea of when can systems hurt you in the sense that there's a lot of positive, right? Somebody leaves, you can plug them in. But if you're innovating and growing, can the systems restrict you in some way? Because it doesn't allow you to invent, you know, so that when you look at like, you know, the famous story of Starbucks and the Frappuccino, it was somebody going, working outside the system that created a drink that became 10% of their revenue. So the idea is where are the, where are the, when, when are the systems absolutely needed and where, like, when do you say, you know, we, we want that flexibility for me, intake is one of those places I've really struggled with in that we have a system, we're in Salesforce, we use, we go through it, but I want to make sure that the people interacting on the phone have, are trained and empowered to go beyond that system when needed. And it's not, it's not easy, Jay. I love you because Jay is sort of, you know, master of all systems and I've, you know, yeah, yes, yes. And yes. But w when to, you know, deviate around that. Well, I think Sarah makes a really good point and it's really a combination of systems and culture. 
And if you have a culture of people who know that they can go beyond the system, um, that's really going to put you in a position to really take advantage of the strengths and talents of your team. Because the last thing you want is a, is a staff member to say, well, the system says I stopped. So I just stopped. And I don't, I don't have the ability to think. And that comes down to hiring. I mean, a lot of people say, well, I like to hire the, you know, the, the lowest person possible who can execute on that task, which is great if it's a grind position. But for a lot of what we do, there's a level of touch that's necessary. You know, it's like, you know, like, like in any, you know, professional sport or anything else, or even in barbecue, you know, you put your hand over the grill and you feel the coals and you say, okay, now's the right time to put the meat on the, on the, on the coals, you know, there's a level of touch that's necessary. I think for your, for your business, for your firm to move forward. And if you're going to simply rely on systems, then you're going to wind up with people just stopping and you're not going to get it to the next level. Uh, That's my perspective on it. Before I throw it to Sarah, that just made me think of something. So I feel like as the economy got stronger and unemployment got lower, Jay pounding on systems became more and more enticing in that our ability to get rock stars shrunk. Sarah, right now we have a very, the, the unemployment has gone back up. The economy is not in great shape. You have the ability to obtain some really strong talent. Have you leveraged any of that? Because that's what I think Jay is talking about. When you do get those rock stars, the systems are there and they're there for a purpose. They were more, were they more important a few months ago? And now, not that you don't want systems, but that if you get the people, as Jay was just alluding to, that you can fit into your culture, that you can have them elevate beyond a formal systemized approach? I really think it depends because, and that's such a lawyer answer. (laughs) I have found people that I've recruited, superstars that I've recruited, that their love language is systems. And I have to actually use our systems to leverage the positioning of our firm to recruit them and attract them to bring them in. And I have also found people who found their love language is freedom, right? And for with them, I have to say, listen, our, our culture is that, you know, we have these systems in place, but one of our core values is challenging the status quo. I mean, that is actually on our website that is actually written on our walls that our one of our core values is to cha- respectfully challenge the status quo. And we and part of that means challenge our system. But the rule is you have to give us a solution. You have to come up with an alternative solution if you're going to challenge the system. And for some people, for you know, some of our litigators that we want to attract, that is a definite love language. I think it's important when you, uh, you know, I, I that you have a superstar, whether it's in your team or outside of your team, somebody you want to recruit, let them speak to you, find out why they're even interested and attracted and just shut up and listen. And this is very hard for me to shut up and listen because I'm always like, oh, I found a superstar. I got to sell, sell, sell and get them to come in. And my husband's like, just shut up and listen and let them tell you what it's going to take for them to come. And when I listen, I actually hear some people say their love language is systems. It's Excel spreadsheets. It's that security of knowing what's going to happen next. And then there's some that are feeling like they've been completely constrained in an operation that is so big and um, so stale and it won't move. And it's, you know, the Titanic hitting for, for the iceberg and it can't even shift quickly enough. And that's what, you know, this economy has done to some of the firms that are so tied up in their systems and in the way they've done things that they can't even pivot. 
Um, and, you know, and as we grow and get bigger and how do we build a culture that can pivot with the systems it has. But one thing I have learned from having staff that are superstar, that have a systems love language and the ones that have more of a, you know, challenger love language is that friction that the two teams create is actually where the magic happens. That's where all the fire happens. When you have a, you know, I've read plenty of leadership books and business books, and I've, they, it's really resonated in these books that when you have a team, a staff meeting, and you have half of the team saying, well, this is how we've done it. And the other team saying, well, you know, let's jump into the pool, even if we don't know if there's any water in it. And these guys butt heads. If you can be the leader over that conversation and find the jewels out of that, I think that's where the growth happens. But you need both and you need to have both conversations. Oh, I love that. I love that. I think that's really, really a big takeaway for the people who are watching this is that you really have to find the areas where you can get that synergy, right? Something more coming out of two things. And that's your skill set as an entrepreneur and as a lawyer to tap into that and really take advantage of everything that you've put together. And you've done a phenomenal job doing it, Sarah. I'm so impressed. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I usually am watching you guys and learning. So I'm very honored to be on here and thank both of you for everything you're doing for the community. And Sarah, I may reach out to you because maybe I'll start up an SSDI firm. I've been thinking about that. <laughs> well, before, well, Jay, I'll, I'll this, I, hopefully the audience is amused by this, but I, I have my SSDI story. I don't know if I've told you. I was at the second or third PILMA uh, in Atlanta and I, I'm sitting there. I walk into the room and like Half the rooms, all pe personal injury lawyers, uh, half the people from around the country were doing this thing. What, what is this SSDI? I had no idea what it was. I had never heard of it before. This is like a decade ago. So on the next break, I run out of the room. I called the office and I say, hey, we need an SSDI site. You know, build an SSDI site. Didn't even know what it did. But so by, the, by that evening, we had an SSDI site. And I went home and started, you know, uh, putting it together. And, you know, what I found was we got ourselves optimized. We were number one in DC for SSDI. But one of the things about it, and you alluded to it before, Sarah, it's a three-year incubation period and that it is a flat, it's fixed fees. You don't, you're not going to hit a home run on it. It's a lots of singles and a, maybe some doubles. And the idea is that the cost structure you have is so, so important. So I, I had sat there and we had like gotten nice offices in downtown DC and we were sort of like building this firm. And it's like, it's very tough when you have certain infrastructure costs. Some of the guys that we've seen who have been most successful at it have gotten themselves out of downtown and have found relatively inexpensive labor to, in order to effectuate this because you're not getting, you know, you the same, whether you're sitting in Beverly Hills or whether you're sitting in the, the distant suburbs of Atlanta, you know, you're getting the same amount for each client. And that if you're, if you end up with cost, anyway, so I ended up, um, you know, passing the practice off and, and seeing that as one of my, I wasn't passionate about it. My cost structure was messed up, but it's so impressed that you figured out a way to make it work for you. Well, I mean, Jay, I, I, you should do it. You love systems, social security firms, all systems, on systems more than anything. So yeah. you, you could really geek out on a social security systems. Very awesome. Good. I like the sound of that. I like the sound awesome. of that. That would be very cool. Cool. Thanks, Sarah. Right, so thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for being with us. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys.
The lawyers who will succeed in the next decade are the ones who are focusing on building their brands where people meet, and there is no place better to build your brand than on social media. With the FirmFlex DIY social media plan, hundreds of lawyers like you are using social media to build their brand and become the one lawyer in their community that people know, like, and trust. By spending even just five minutes a day on social media marketing, you can engage with hundreds or thousands of people in your local community who will need your services. By cultivating a network of followers, you build a book of business that you can market to the next decade and beyond. If you are looking for a solution to help you jumpstart your social media marketing, look no further than the DIY plan at GetFirmFlex.com. The DIY was created by a small firm lawyer for people just like you helping you connect with local people online and build your brand and engage people in the topics they want to talk about. All for under $100 a month. To find out more, visit GetFirmFlex.com. In this world today, if you want to grow your business, you want to grow your firm, you want to take on more cases and make a bigger impact, you have to have a digital blueprint. Statistically, throughout the time that we've been working with Blue Shark Digital, our law firm, the Atlanta Divorce Law Group, grew over 1,400%. Seth and his team have years of experience in this area. Blue Shark is truly a part of the firm, so I don't consider Blue Shark any different than the employees in my office. Well, Seth, just a, a phenomenal conversation. I love spending time with Sarah, and everything that we learned there was just was just awesome. You know, there's nothing else uh, you can say. What were your thoughts? No, I, I just thought the way she evaluates things and just watching the brain spin in real time it was just a, a treat and an inspiration. I, I feel like I took things that she gave me there that I want to bring back to my team, and that sort of figuring out what makes somebody tick, something I probably don't do enough of that I sort of say, hey, here's our here's our formula, fit into it. And I, the fact that she's trying to figure out what makes different people tick systems versus freedom, uh, you know, really, really fascinating. Yeah, you know, that, that's something that's really interesting. The other thing that I thought was interesting was, uh, and a lot of people in our audience have talked about during coronavirus being able to make a pivot, right? And I think she had a really good metric for, for figuring out where to pivot to. And she looked at one was a contingency fee basis. So she didn't want to bring another contingency. She wanted to go for fee for service. And I think that's really sort of an interesting way to approach it. You know, I know some people who, you know, had a family law practice that was fee for service and then decided to add another fee for service, trust and estates type thing. Um, or we saw people who had a PI practice who maybe not necessarily were impacted as much, decided that they wanted to add another source of revenue because they see coming down the line 18 months from now, there's going to be an issue with their pipeline of PI settlements and, and verdicts because of the impact on society over the last six months. And it's really sort of an interesting way to sort of uh, sort of judge where to get into it next. And I thought she had a very, very smart way uh, of approaching that when she did do it. And it's caused me to think, okay, if I'm going, you know, where should I go next? How should I uh, get into the next area uh, to build my business? So that was a mirror of what I looked at, right? I had criminal great cash flow, had payment plans because we had scaled. The payment plans allowed us to have continuous cash flow, but moving to the contingency side, adding PI and MedMal was that sort of balance. And I think that as people look at where they want to pivot, if they do want to pivot, figuring something that diversifies them, I think is very strong. I mean, synergies are important and she went way beyond. 
that's not necessarily best business practice. Anything where you can leverage economies of scale, whether it be office space, whether it be human resources, she went above and beyond to separate it. That's not easy. And that for many people, they won't have that luxury. Um, and again, I mentioned it uh, during the interview, I'll say it again, which is strategically from a digital marketing point of view, it's a heck of a lot easier to add something to a site. There's not a lot more cost, you just add some content. And basically it allows you that flexibility to build without a lot of additional marketing firepower, particularly organically. That said, what she did seems to have been a vision. She knew what she was doing and that sometimes you need that separation in order to really have those teams independently functioning and firing to create those independent revenue streams. Yeah, you know, so something came up in the conversation with Sarah, and I think it's something that we should talk about this coming Tuesday, right? And it's the difference between, you know, just bolting on a new practice area to your existing brand or building a whole separate brand like like Sarah did. And there's a lot of points that go into it. Price Beto has been very successful adding on practice groups, right? My firm, we tend to build separate brands. So I think that's a, an idea that maybe we should discuss a little bit more in detail as to why you did certain things and why I did certain things next Tuesday on our show. Because I think it's something that a lot of people are contemplating and they don't necessarily know all the calculations that go into making those decisions. Sarah really sort of teed up the conversation. But if you'd like, maybe we could talk about that next Tuesday. What do you think? That'd be great. All right, fantastic. So we're going to end the show here now, folks. This has been another wonderful Thursday sitting with you. I am Jay Ruane, and he is Seth Price. Uh, you can check us out on all the major podcasting platforms, as well as in the Maximum Lawyer podcast. We're syndicated through them. Maximum Growth Live is a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. We are so happy to be with you. Seth, I, wonder, I hope you have a phenomenal weekend with your family. Uh, enjoy the nice weather while we have it. And uh, we'll see you now on Tuesday, on the Tuesday show of Maximum Growth Live. Bye for now, folks. Thank you for listening to Maximum Growth Live. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast for the latest episodes and tune in live on Facebook every Thursday for our live show. For more information, visit Maximum Growth Live on Facebook or MaximumLawyer.com and be sure to share us with your friends.